Good evening, all you ghouls and goblins out there. Kristen and Riley back with Season 4, Episode 9 of Demented and Unusual. And tonight we will be covering Juan Corona, also known as the Machete Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dumb. Uh, he was born February 7th, 1934. He has a confirmed kill count of 25, with possibly up to 34 victims total. Tell us about his pre-psycho phase. He was born in Jalisco, Mexico. Um, in 1950, at just 16 years old, he crossed the border into California. He picked carrots and melons in Imperial Valley. Three months later, he moved to Sacramento Valley. In May of 1953, Juan moved to the Maryville, Yuba City area at the suggestion of his older half-brother, Natividad, who had moved there in 1944 for work. And so Juan found work at a ranch. October 24th, 1953, Juan married Gabriela y Hermosillo. Hermosillo. Aww. Gay. <laughs> January 17th, 1956, Natividad had Juan committed to DeWitt State Hospital in Auburn, California. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia reaction, paranoid type. So pretty much means that he suffers from delusions and may also be suffering from um, auditory hallucinations as well, like hearing things. Oh, shit, that scared me. It's just my cats, y'all. I may have peed a little bit. Um, so this does not involve other, like, telltale negative schizophrenia signs, like disorganized speech, lack of emotion, catatonic behavior, anything like that. It's kind of like schizophrenia light. Yeah. It's like the sugar-free version. <laughs> <laughs> While he was there, he received 23 shock treatments before he was considered recovered and was released. That's fucking insane, 23 dude. shock treatments. Like, I can't even imagine one. Like, honestly, so, like when I was reading all of this stuff, I kind of wondered if the shock treatments were like part of what was wrong with him. Yeah, if they, like, actually turned him into what he became. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. When he was released, he was deported back to Mexico. By 1959, he was remarried to a woman named Gloria Moreno, with whom he had four daughters. In 1962, Juan returned to the United States with a green card, totally legal this time, and it was also at this time that he stopped drinking. Despite his violent temper and schizophrenic episodes, he became a licensed labor contractor. He was in charge of staffing local fruit ranches. In March <laughs> 1970, Juan was readmitted, readmitted to DeWitt. In 71, he applied for welfare and was denied. So, um... I couldn't really find a whole lot about, like, what actually happened to his victims. Um, but basically what I gathered was that they were all um, molested, attacked with a knife or a machete, and beat. I believe it's pronounced machete. Machete. Yes. So, also, you'll notice that a lot of the dates that we have for um, 
like the death dates we have for the victims are like ranges and it was just because they weren't found until like after they actually died and so whenever you do the autopsies that's kind of how it works yeah it's like best guess kind of yeah and so they're not in the order that they died but in the order that they found and Kristen will go ahead and start that okay that's me yeah yay yay 40 year old Kenneth Edward Whitaker was the first found he was murdered on or around May 19 1971 and uh, he died happy. He was found with a grin on his face, which is incredibly disturbing. He spent a lot of his time locked up, and a lot of the time he just talked about wanting to be free. So honestly, he probably was just, like, released. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm finally free. Yeah. Next victim found was 67-year-old Charles Levy Fleming. Such a weird name. I know. And stupidly, I was like, why do they all have three names? But, you know, hello. Um, He was murdered between May 8th and May 11th of 1971. Their victim found was 59-year-old Melford Everett Sample. And he was murdered on or around May 21st, 1971. And this is where one kind of gets sloppy. He was, (laughs) the victim was found with pink slips from Del Perro Meat Company with Juan Corona's name and the date, May 21st, on it. <laughs> so, like, yeah. He left his name and the date with the murder victim. Literally a paper trail. Yeah. Quite literally. Quite literally. <laughs> to be fair. To be fair. <laughs> so, fourth victim was a John Doe. Um, like, they literally, there's four John Doe's, and they never, ever figured out who they were. So the fourth victim, he was a white, nine-fingered male, murdered between February 25th and May 11th of 71. Um, if you'd only had that tenth finger, he would have lived. <laughs> Dude, I, when I read that, I was like, oh my god, that's so weird, nine fingers. And then I was like, fuck, we have ten. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, that has to suck on that. Oh, wait. I know. This is just this one. <laughs> 60-year-old Donald Dale Red Smith was murdered between April 30th and May 11th, 1971. Shortly before his death, he was in a car accident and um, actually received a $750 insurance settlement. So that kind of seems like motive because a lot of the guys who did have money on them did not have money on them when they were found. Um, 52-year-old John Joseph Haluka was murdered sometime between March 30th and May 11th, 1971. John Doe's... Oh, no. Seventh victim found John Doe. Um, He had a label that read Farm Laborer, and he was only wearing shorts and socks. He was murdered sometime between February 25th and May 11th of 1971. May 5th May 25th. That was a mess up. Nope, just started at the 62-year-old. Yes. Eighth victim found. 62-year-old Warren. Warren. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's not his name, sorry. Warren Jerome Kelly was murdered between March 30th and May 11th, 1971. Ninth victim found was 62-year-old Sigurd Emil Behrman. 
And he was last seen alive on March 26th or 27th of that same year. And he was actually getting picked up by Juan, I'm assuming for a job. Um, and fun fact, his thumb was missing. I just imagine, like, when I... <laughs> When I read that, I imagined him like being hit, like hitchhiking and being picked up by Juan, and then like he had his thumb that he was hitchhiking with cut off. <laughs> I don't know. That just made me laugh. Um, you know, easily entertained. Tenth victim, John Doe, an unidentified African American, murdered between February twenty sixth and May twelfth, nineteen seventy one. Next victim, sixty two year old William Bill. Emery Camp was the only victim that was shot in the head with a 9mm. Hmm. I wonder why he was the only one shot. Like, it really bothered me that I couldn't find anything else. Maybe he, like, I know they were all, like, laborers and workers, so I'm imagining they're all, like, physically fit. But maybe this guy was just particularly, like, he felt like he had to shoot him to take him down. Do you think maybe he saw something and, like, shot him because he was going to, like, run away or something, maybe? Possibly. Uh, next, John Doe. He was murdered between February 26th and May 12th, 1971. They never found any type of information on him at all, ever. Like, there was no really distinguishable, like, identifiers. He was just literally another body. 53-year-old Clarence Hockey was the 13th victim found. He was murdered between February 26th and May 12th, 1971. Next victim, 64-year-old James Wiley Howard, murdered sometime between May 1st and May 13th. Then we've got 56-year-old Jonah Raggio Smallwood, who was murdered on or around May 12th. So Jonah, Albert Riley, and Paul Allen, who we will talk about shortly, were all last seen accepting job offers from Juan Corona. So, kind of fishy there. Mm-hmm. 45-year-old Albert T.J. J.T. J.T. Albert J.T. Riley was murdered on or around May 12th as well. He was found with a set of dentures that had a name scratched into them, a social security card, and some jail release paperwork. So he was anything but a John Doe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This next one. (laughs) Are you going to tell me? (laughs) 59-year-old Paul Bull Allen was murdered on or around May 13, 1971, and he was identified by the social security card he had in his pocket. <laughs> if they had looked harder, they would have found a note saying, I was killed by Juan Corona. <laughs> 43-year-old Edward Martin Cup was murdered between May 9th and May 13th of 1971. Um... He was found with his legs crossed and his shoes untied. It was just like a really weird thing. <laughs> like, were they crossed? Like, he was laying down and they were crossed at the ankles? Or was he like crisscross applesauce? No fucking clue. That's just That's so all weird. I could find, really. There was like a bunch of other stuff about like, oh, this paper was with them and this paper. And I was like, I really don't care if he had $2 on him. Yeah. Um, literally doesn't matter. Literally. Literally. 58-year-old Albert Leon Scratchy Hayes was murdered between February 27th and May 13th. That's a very big gap. They need to get it together. And that also sounds like a really made-up name. Albert Leon Hayes, a.k.a. Scratchy. 
Well, Jonah was also going by Driftwood. Oh, God. <laughs> All righty. Okay. 47-year-old Raymond. Are you waiting for me? Yeah. Oh, I was waiting for you. Sorry. 47-year-old Raymond Rianne Muchache. Muchache. Muchache? Was Muchache. Oh he was murdered on or around May 12th of 71, obviously, because this guy had nothing else to do this year. Um, and his body was actually found near John Henry Jackson, who was the next victim found. 64-year-old John Henry Jackson was murdered between April 15th and May 14th. He was last seen leaving with Juan for a, quote, job. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> he was found fully dressed and beside a sleeping bag. The sleeping bag was rolled up, just in case y'all were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an awkward thing to be buried with, though. I know, right? 22nd victim uncovered, 60-year-old Lloyd Wallace Wenzel, was murdered between May 14th and May 22nd. 56-year-old Mark Beverly Shields was murdered on or around April 28th. My birthday, but in the 70s. Oh, you hadn't <laughs> even thought about that then. Nope. Not even a glimmer in my mom's eyes. Youngin. She wasn't even born yet, I don't think. Yeah, she wasn't born yet. Your mom? Yeah. When was your mom born? 74. I'm... April 29th, oh, yeah. 74. <laughs> I'm almost in your mom. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'll be your daddy. <laughs> 55-year-old Sam Bonafide, a.k.a. Joe Caravo, was murdered between April 21st and May 20th, 1971. He was found with bank slips that said, Juan V. Corona, 768 Richland Road, Yuba City, California. So, the difference in the names. He had two separate lives. Like, complete separate identities. Like, Joe Caravo was from Puerto Rico, and the other one was from somewhere here in the continental u.s but like he had two completely separate lives and that's why he had two different names like that but they both died right both, yes like, they personalities both, they both died <laughs> um 54 year old joseph j mczek was murdered between april 25th and may 21st 1971 so we are officially out of the murder victims. Um, so here's a little story about a guy named Jose Romero Raya. He happened to be found in the bathroom of Guadalajara Cafe, which was owned by Juan Corona's brother, Natividad. Um, when he was found, he was found molested, beaten, and attacked with a large knife or machete, the exact same way all but one of the victims were killed. He suffered three skull fractures, his lips were cut from his face, and he had other permanent disfigurements, but he survived. And he actually ended up suing the guy, but we'll talk about that later. Oh my. Most of the men had empty stomachs at the time of their autopsies, which is very considerate of them because having a full stomach when you're doing an autopsy is gross. I speak from experience. So please be considerate and die with an empty stomach. 
uh, 14 of the victims were buried in a mass grave. Some of them, some of the men had families that came forward, but they were either already buried or the family couldn't afford to have their own services. So there were two mass memorials that were officiated for the victims. May 26, 1971, police entered Juan's house with a search warrant and inevitably arrested him. They found two blood-stained knives, a machete, a pistol, and blood-stained clothing. Because that couldn't be any more damning. Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, along with like all the paperwork that literally <laughs> led them to his door. Yeah. I'm going to bury you with my address. There's no way they could find me. They also found a ledger that contained 34 names, 25 of which were his victims. The ledger became known as the, quote, death list by the prosecution. Juan supplied workers to the ranches where some victims were discovered. He also housed many of the men in a bunkhouse on the Sullivan Ranch, which is where most of his victims were discovered. Oh. Yeah. The plot thickens. Yeah. Wait till y'all hear this next part. Juan was arrested. Juan... I can't read. Juan was assigned a public defender named Roy Vandenhubel. Quevel. Uh, Quevel. <laughs> like Quavo. <laughs> Sorry. Like Quavos. <laughs> you wanted me to, you jerk. She loves to say the way I say Quavos. Anyways, Roy hired several psychiatrists to perform psychiatric evaluations on Ron. Despite Sheriff Roy Whitaker stating that Juan was in was in no danger from the community. He was moved to a larger county jail in Marysville on May 30th, 1971. I don't know why I said it. This was not the part I was I was remembering. This is not the interesting part. <laughs> <laughs> but wait. There's more. <laughs> June 2nd. Juan returned to Sutter County for arraignment. He entered a plea of not guilty. Go figure. By June 4th, the search was finally complete and a total of 25 bodies were found, four of which remained John Doe's, as I had said earlier. June 14th, Roy Van de Wevel was replaced by Richard Hawk, a privately retained defense attorney. This is the part I was talking about. <laughs> Richard Hawk was granted exclusive literary and dramatic property rights, rights, rights to Juan Corona's life story, including proceedings against him as a form of payment for his legal defense. <laughs> and so with this, they waived the attorney-client privileged privilege. How? And so... With this being the new deal, before even viewing Juan's medical records, which would show a rather extensive history of mental illness and, like, not even, like, an easygoing one, a serious one, he fired all of the psychiatrists. And that was it. I was I was so shook when I found that. I don't see how this was allowed to happen. Oh wait, you'll find out what happened because of that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, June 18th, Juan was taken to the hospital where he was diagnosed with a mild heart attack. Yeah, just a little baby heart attack. Nothing serious. Yeah. July 12th, the grand jury returned a 25-count murder indictment against him. <laughs> I don't know why spell check didn't catch that. It's an urder. Yeah, a 25-count urder indictment. <laughs> In early August, Juan was hospitalized again with chest pains. Once wasn't enough attention for him. No, of course not. February 18th, 1972. The California Supreme Court ruled the death penalty to be unconstitutional by way of being cruel and unusual. Bullshit. This meant Juan's case wouldn't be a capital case. I... My voice went up like there was more to that sentence, but there was not. At this point, Hawk successfully successfully obtained a change of venue from Sutter County to Solano County. September 11, 1972, Juan's trial finally began in Fairfield, California, but the jury selection took several weeks, and trial took another three months, and eventually, when they got around to everything, Juan Corona was never called to testify in his own defense, and there were absolutely zero defense witnesses lined up for this trial. January 18, 1973, after 45 hours of deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. They found Juan Corona guilty of first-degree murder on all 25 counts. And he was sentenced to 25 consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Oh, but there's a catch to that. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us about that catch? Mm, yes. Okay. The Department of Corrections said he would be eligible for parole in seven years due to Section 669 of the Penal Code. Seven years. Seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my white girl is showing, apparently. Um, it mandates that when uh, crime is punished by life imprisonment, with or without the possibility of parole, then all other convictions shall be merged concurrently. So in 1973, Juan was stabbed 32 times in his cell for bumping into another inmate without saying penis. <laughs> without, saying... <laughs> without saying excuse, excuse me. me. Sorry, y'all. She was talking like my baby. (laughs) Um, Five men were questioned, and four were charged with assault with a deadly weapon. So, interesting thing with that, like, some of them were, like, lovers, and it was just, like, this whole weird thing. I don't know. I think it's kind of, like, poetic justice that he ended up getting stabbed. Almost (laughs) the same amount of times that there was names in his ledger. I know. Juan was transferred to Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, California. By July 30th, 1974, he found himself divorced. (laughs) May 18th, 1978, the California Court of Appeals granted Juan Corona a new trial based on his appeal and petition for the writ of habeas corpus, which was filed by his new lawyers, Alan Exelrod and Michael Mendelson. 
The court based its decision on two issues raised by the appellate counsel. The first being the trial counsel did not do the requisite legal and factual investigations required. And two, that the trial's counsel's obtaining publication rights as a part of his fee created an impermissible conflict between trial counsel and Juan Corona. On my birthday, three years before I was born, <laughs> which is February 22nd, y'all. February 22nd, 1982. The second trial begins in Hayward, California. Alan and Michael's defense strategy was to say that Natividad was the real monster. Murderer. Same shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a known homosexual, and he was also accused of attacking Romero Rea at his cafe. So after I lost his lawsuit, he fled back to Mexico. And Natividad died in 1974 in Guadalajara. So I think it's kind of like, like weird how, how Romero goes back to Cap to Mexico and then Natividad is in Mexico. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think he definitely at least did that one. Yeah, it seems shady. As fuck. Yeah. This time around, there were more than 50 defense witnesses and shockingly, for the first time, one was called to his own defense. But it was, it was terrible. <laughs> he was asked only two whole questions through an interpreter first question do you understand the state has accused you of killing 25 men to which he replied yes and mind you they say that it was like almost like inaudible like almost like hard to understand what he was saying the second do you have anything to do with killing those men no and that was it that was him defending himself <laughs> Okay, he said he didn't do it, guys. <laughs> yep, guess we need to go home. <laughs> At this point, the prosecution prepared more than 630 exhibits for their cross-examination. This trial lasted seven months. Mm. The jury deliberated for 54 hours over a two-week period. September 23rd, 1982. He was once again convicted of the crimes and returned to prison. The war ledger was what damned him the second time around. Yeah, they said that there was, like, no real reason for him to have it. But, like, I kind of could see why he would have it. Like, if he's in charge of, like, placing these people yeah. in jobs, he would need to know who's Who, working for exactly. him and stuff. But I could also see how it looks really bad that, you know... Pretty much everybody you have on the list ends up dead. <laughs> I would consider it circumstantially yet suspicious. Yeah, super sus. <laughs> in 1992, he was transferred to Corcoran State Prison in Corcoran, California. He served his life sentence in the sensitive needs yard. <laughs> <laughs> he was in emo prison. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, but it was due to dementia. That's why he was in the sensitive needs yard. He was denied parole eight times before dying of natural causes on March 4th, 2019. He was 85 years old. So um, I got a lot of my um, victim information from the deviation diaries.blogspot.com. 
I think it would be really cool if y'all, like, went and looked, like, they even, like, have literal, like, plot numbers to where you could go and find these people's graves and stuff. And they have, like, all the pictures of the people. And there was, like, another list that came out in a publication of, like, I want to say 13 more people with, like, names and stuff. But I couldn't read it because, you know, it was a newspaper and it was, like, really old and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, If y'all want to check that out, it would just be pretty interesting. And I would like to um, impart some wisdom on you guys. Give you some advice. Friendly advice. Just chill out. You know, drink a Sprite. Eat a moon pie. Quit murdering people. (laughs) And with that, I say stay creepy. (laughs) 